0: and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view.
1: This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer.
0: Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Now, usually seated by my side is Eric Eggers, but Eric is in quarantine. Eric, how are you doing?
1: I'm quarantined from your germophobia, but I'm terrific. <laughs> like, I've, I've never felt more ostracized in my life than you. Yeah, well, you me.
0: should be. He came to the office. I appreciate the work spirit. He came to the office hacking and coughing. Uh, so I said, I'm not going to sit in a pa- small podcast studio with you. But, you know, instead of talking about your medical condition, um, let me ask you a question. Yeah, if if we took a survey uh, of this audience and we asked them the question, between you and me, which one would most likely be indicted? What do you think they would say?
1: Uh, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about being indicted for wild medical paranoia, then clearly <laughs> you. Uh, if we're talking about for a violation of some sort of a criminal statute. Uh, I don't want to say it's me, but I would say <laughs> I I did do a TV interview last week, and one of the hosts on Newsmax, uh, Greg Kelly, who's a really good dude, he ha- he forever is saying that I look like and remind him of Hunter Biden, and so the, I was the, like, the,
0: the look like I get, the remind of, is a little bit disconcerting. What does he mean by remind of?
1: Well, I guess that you know I have a good tan, and I clearly don't like paying taxes, so. <laughs> But but either way, I I don't think um, I'm willing to bet that at least not this week, neither of us will be indicted, Peter. At least I hope not.
0: Yeah, I don't think either one of us is going to be indicted. And probably President Donald J. Trump, uh, former president of the United States, should not have been indicted either. Uh, We're going to talk today about the Trump case. Uh, of course, President Donald Trump uh, turned himself in uh, to a Manhattan courthouse in order to face an indictment on 34 felony counts in connection with a hush money payment to a porn star before the 2016 election. It should be pointed out that apparently the uh, Biden Justice Department prosecutors looked at this from the standpoint of the federal crime Mm -hmm. uh, and didn't think there was anything here to prosecute. But lo and behold, Alvin Bragg says, no, I found 34 reasons why those federal prosecutors are wrong. Uh, And he's built this case against uh, the former president surrounding the payments, of course, to to Stormy Daniels during the 2016 election. Um, He allegedly he subsequently reimbursed his former lawyer, Michael Cohen. For these uh, payments. And essentially, what Bragg's case hinges on is proving that this intentional falsification of records, they claimed that the money that was used to pay Stormy Daniels was listed as lawyer's fees uh, to Michael Cohen. Uh, What Bragg's going to have to prove is that the objective was to cover up another crime. And that other crime would be the violation of federal election laws. So I know you're not a lawyer, but you've got a lot of common sense. Eric, what's your take on Alvin Bragg and where this case is going to go?
1: Yeah, I think his case seems less about upholding the rule of law and, in my opinion, more about uh, upholding or improving Alvin Bragg's personal public profile. I mean, this seems to be uh, a very much politically motivated. I don't necessarily think of in a nefarious way. I just think like, look. He gets to be the guy that brings down this arch villain of modern society, a great threat to democracy himself, Donald J. Trump. Um, and ironically, I actually think maybe part of the reason why the Biden attorneys didn't do this is also for political reasons. I think that it's not hard to believe or see that by going after Donald Trump, by making him a victim of aggressive political prosecution and maybe even persecution, uh, is I think the best thing that could have happened to Donald Trump's political aspirations in twenty twenty four. At least that's my take. I don't know what you think, but like, if the reason why Donald Trump was successful in twenty sixteen is because of all the earned media he got for free. He right. became this phenomenon. It became musty TV. I mean, Donald Trump in twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen was basically what Barack Obama. He became a product, right? Like you couldn't go anywhere without seeing Barack Obama in two thousand eight on t-shirts on magazine covers on plates that they have sold like he he was he you want to you want to sell something put obama's face on it and now it's like you want to sell a website you want to sell a news story get trump involved and this guarantees that trump will be in the news for the next six months and i think that's what they're doing
0: well, in keeping the spirit of what you just said, I, I think I saw somewhere that the uh, Trump campaign is releasing T-shirts that uh, have exactly. <laughs> yeah, fictitious mugshot of Trump. There was no mugshot actually taken of him. And underneath it, it says not guilty. But, you know, to your point about the political motivations behind this, the, the, the Alvin Bragg indictment to me is a huge, huge, troublesome issue, because let's remember, he actually campaigned for this position, because, of course, the prosecutor in New York, that's an elected position. He, one of his campaign promises was he was going to indict Donald Trump. And, of course, the Attorney General of New York, uh, Letitia James, did the same thing, which from the standpoint of, of justice in America, do we really want political candidates running for office saying, if I get elected, I promise I am going to prosecute the president of the United States, or I'm going to prosecute this senator. It's a hugely dangerous development. And another example to me of how the left gets so wrapped up with their own sense of righteousness. Donald Trump is so bad and so evil. We are going to toss aside our responsibilities as prosecutors and any sense of, you know, fair justice. Uh, and we are going to start campaigning on these issues. To me, that's where the politics reeks on this. It should also be pointed out that, In addition to the Department of Justice under Biden looking at this, the Federal Election Commission looked at this. Now, again, remember, Alvin Bragg is saying he is bringing this case, he's making them felonies because these alleged record violations, which are normally misdemeanors, the statute of limitations is already passed. They are felonies because they were designed to thwart federal election law. The Biden Department of Justice didn't agree. And apparently the Federal Election Commission didn't agree either, did they, Eric?
1: No, they didn't. We have two, I think, very legitimate and clear and easy points to make about the things that are wrong with this indictment of Donald Trump. Number one is that the New York District Attorney is not the first legal authority to look at this, as you noted. Yeah, the Federal Election Commission looked at this uh, in May of 2021. And this remember, the FEC has three Democrats on it, three Republicans on it. And they determined they, quote, would not proceed with a case examining whether he violated election law uh, because, um, yeah, the evidence wasn't there, right? Two of the Democrats wanted to move forward with it. They didn't have enough to to make it a case, so they dropped it. So if the people who are actually in charge of administering and upholding election law, the Federal Election Commission decided it wasn't worth pursuing an investigation, uh, then, you know, that should be, like, notable, Um, And oh, by the way, it's not like they don't engage in other areas. Like There are candidates who have been charged by Mm -hmm. the FEC and have been fined by the FEC before. So just to be clear, the FEC said – they looked at the Donald Trump thing and said, nah, we don't think that's there. But they have said other stuff was there, including in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, paid a big fine. And and like the details of this are what we want to talk about because the details of where her FEC fine came from – actually have Peter Schweitzer and GAI's fingerprints all over it, but she did not, despite having to pay a fine for the FEC, face 34 criminal counts for some reason.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is one of the uh, uh, halls of honor mentions for GAI, which is the fact that because of our work, the Clinton campaign ended up paying a fine. Uh, To the Federal Election (laughs) Commission. I never thought that would happen. This is really interesting because we had no real knowledge of this at the time. Remember, uh, the audience may recall in 2015, GAI released a book that I wrote uh, called Clinton Cash. And we looked at the amount of money that the Clintons were collecting uh, from overseas, and a lot of the particular attention we focused on were the ties to Russia and this Russia-uranium deal involving Uranium-1. Uh, This got a lot of media attention. What we didn't know until recently was the panic that this set up within the Clinton campaign itself. And we know this because of a recent article in the Columbia Journalism Review written by a former New York Times reporter named Jeff Girth. Jeff Girth, Columbia Journalism Review are definitely not right of center. They're not sympathetic to kind of our limited government view. But this is what Gersh says in this article. I think it's worth quoting at length. Three days before Trump's presidential announcement in 2016, Hillary Clinton entered the race. And it was she, not Trump, who began her campaign facing scrutiny over Russia ties. Weeks earlier, the New York Times had collaborated with a conservative author.
1: Hey, pause. Who is that?
0: (laughs) That would be me. It's really funny to me that they didn't want to mention the name, not that I particularly care, but it is kind of funny. Well, mysterious. it's kind of
1: funny. It's kind of funny that you're reading from the Columbia <laughs> journalism review about the Clinton campaign and how freaked out they got about what you did. Like, this is kind of like eavesdropping on a therapy session, right? Like, it's <laughs>
0: right. Who's the therapist in this case?
1: Uh, the public. So yeah, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, so the, but you're, yeah, I mean, you keep reading, but yeah. So like the, the as the Columbia journalism review points out, that the Clinton campaign essentially because of the impact Clinton cash had did a survey and they found that because of the New York times and they laundered everything through it, it it says internal campaign poll shared the campaign, the day of Trump's announcement, showed the Russian entanglement's exposed in the book, that will be your book. And the times were the most worrisome Clinton negative uh, message according to records. Right. I mean, so the point is like we now know according to, a review by the Columbia Journalist Review that the number one thing the Hillary Clinton campaign was worried about was the negative messaging that came out of Clinton Cash, specifically as it relates to their connection to Russia.
0: That's right. Uh, And again, we didn't know that the Clinton campaign was this worried about this issue. We certainly thought the country should be, and uh, uh, there were clear indications the public was. But here's what's interesting. The Clinton campaign decided, based on this information, that the biggest threat they saw to the campaign was the research and the details involving the Uranium One deal. They decided to flip it on its head, and that's what led them to fund the so-called steel dossier. This, of course, was the dossier that uh, we now know was filled with completely false information, sort of made-up information from sources or sometimes not even from sources. But this is where they ended up getting into legal trouble. They financed this dossier using campaign funds, but they listed the money that actually went to the dossier as being for legal expenses. In other words, they paid their lawyer and then their lawyer paid Steele to produce the dossier, which sounds very similar to the claims that are being made about Donald Trump as it relates to Stormy Daniels, that what Alvin Bragg is saying is you sort of Didn't clearly disclose that this money was going to pay Steny Daniels. Ergo, we're going to charge you with thirty-four felony counts of campaign violations.
1: It's pretty insane. You know, um, I'm sure you get a lot of feedback on on the podcast. Uh, I do as well. My my brother actually listens to it. He listens to a lot of podcasts. He likes to text me lines that we should say. And I won't say many of them because, as I told my brother, it's a family <laughs> podcast. And so because it's a family podcast, I'll just say this. I think you have to admire the – let's call it the gumption of the Clinton campaign to, t- to take – like, think about that. Like, they do polling. The polling says, hey, you know that deal you guys had with where you helped get a bunch of uranium to Vladimir Putin in exchange for big-time donations to your foundation and the money that Bill got from Putin for a speech? So that's a problem. So you know what we should do? We should say that Trump has a Russia problem. <laughs> and we should pay, we should pay somebody to create a fake dossier, and then we'll yeah. give it to the media. We'll say it's from the FBI and everywhere else. And we'll actually use our connections to the FBI to have it promoted within the Obama Justice Department. And then it will become a thing. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it it worked. That's sounds like the steel the Like you still talk to people and people are like, oh yeah, uh, Donald Trump, that's Putin's stooge. Like, like right. that became the dominant narrative, it reminds me of when we were filming, uh, we were interviewing this guy that we had in the Creepy Line film, Dr. Robert Epstein, who is you know, no conservative, and he had read Clinton Cash, and he goes, you got to say this. It's brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that reaction a lot, by the way, the, the sort of genius nature of uh, of the Clinton grift in this case. So yeah, I mean this this to me is is very interesting and very stunning. First of all, I agree with you. It's sort of a brilliant tactic. I mean, it would be, you know, you know, pick what you're being accused of and immediately accuse your opponent of the same thing, even if there's not really any evidence, and just create the evidence. The Uh, Way in which they handled the financing of this, again, they're using campaign funds. They're listing these campaign funds as, quote, legal and compliance consulting. Um, The FEC looked at this and said, no, Uh, the commission found that the campaign and the DNC made total payments of slightly more than a million dollars to the opposition research firm Fusion GPS through its law firm, labeling it as legal and compliance consulting, when in fact it was for research related to the steel dossier. uh, And they ended up paying a whopping $8,000 fine. The Democratic National Committee paid $105,000. To me, kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's just uh, the cost of doing business if you can engage in this kind of behavior on a campaign issue. Uh, and, And it's the same kind of manner in which I look at sort of the Trump violation. If you're claiming that it is an FEC violation, uh, and, of course, the FEC looked at it. The Biden Department of Justice looked at it and said, no, we don't see it here. Charging for that, what, what you're seeing with York is um, – sorry, with Alvin Bragg is really an effort to squeeze something in that doesn't fit uh, legally. I mean, in other words – he can't charge it as a misdemeanor, which is what the actual crime is, because the statute of limitations are, are gone. So instead, we're going to pretend it's related to this federal crime that federal authorities don't agree on, and we're going to try to shoehorn it in. And that's where we are. Hillary Clinton pays an $8 million fine for doing something very similar. And on the other hand, Donald Trump is facing 34 felony counts in a New York court court.
1: Yeah. $8,000 fine for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I mean, could have been 8 million because the Clintons are rich. It doesn't really matter to them, but, uh, I I think it's exactly right. And you know, it's the crazy part to me is like, you talk about like trying to squeeze it in and make it fit. Like, you know, and I admit that I have you know many small children. I'm over here living the Hunter Biden lifestyle. So it's hard for me to focus all the time. <laughs> but I, but I we need to start when,
0: drug testing you, by the way, if you're living the Hunter Biden lifestyle, uh, don't tell me not. podcast,
1: Peter family podcast. <laughs> so what, what, what I'm asking about is like, I, I thought Donald Trump was going to go to prison for like having classified documents. Remember when there was a big raid and right, everybody went through right. his closet and every right. the FBI showed up and right. he was being politically persecuted that way. So, What's he in trouble for? Or is he just in trouble for all of it? or is it? But I think that's where it just seems like he is yeah. the, the catnip that they cannot resist. Like they must continue to go. Like the man lost. The man is not in office anymore. He's been taken off of social media right. channels by and large. Like he's gone away. I don't know why they keep trying to bring him back, which only will then fuel or aid the narrative he wants to perpetuate, which is that Washington's corrupt. Washington's broken. Only he can fix it. I mean, right. it does seem like they're doing him a favor. And I mean, especially when, as you noted, yeah, like this is a thing that Hillary Clinton was not charged with any felonies for. She paid $8,000 uh, and then everyone sort of moved on, right? I mean, yeah. Even, yeah I mean, and that, and you're like, well, that's because it's, you know, maybe more like white collar stuff. I mean, we do have a historic example of somebody literally also paying money for hush payments for a mistress, right? As yeah. Donald Trump is accused of doing. Even he wasn't charged with any felonies.
0: Right. That's exactly right. This is, of course, John Edwards from North Carolina. He ran for president in 2008, uh, and he apparently received $900,000 in cash payments in an effort to conceal from the public the fact that he had a mistress who bore him a child. Um, And uh, by the way, John Edwards, great video on YouTube if you've never seen it. Um, There's no audio to it, So if we played it, it wouldn't matter. But as of John Edwards, before he's going to do an appearance, um, I think it's on Meet the Press or something. And quite literally for two and a half, three minutes, he is brushing his hair. He is priming and looking in a mirror, just trying to get that tossed hair look perfect. I mean, it's just genius. I mean, can I just say something? Yeah.
1: If I look like Hunter Biden... You actually do have the John Edwards hairstyle. Oh, geez. just to be clear oh, about on. it, you know oh, what I mean. You got the little on. side okay. part. You got the whole thing. <laughs> I I can say that you don't spend that much time primping, but you come on, okay, Senator Edwards.
0: I I have never <clears throat> ever been compared to John Edwards, so God help me uh, if there's any resemblance. But in his case, he got nine hundred thousand dollars from a uh, donor uh, to put the money in, and he was actually uh, prosecuted by the. Obama administration, the Obama Department of Justice, uh, they argued that he orchestrated the series of these illegal payments to his mistress and then conspired with his staff to lie about the fare and cover it up. It, it did actually go to trial and it was a hung jury. He was He was never prosecuted. Uh, in that particular case, um, he accepted money from another individual. Uh, which he should have disclosed was the argument in this particular case. Trump was making the payment himself, mm-hmm. uh, and the argument would be there that, of course, you can you can finance your uh, your own campaign as much as you want. But
1: to me, does that make it does that make it better? Does that make Donald Trump a better guy than John Edwards? I like, don't know that it makes him money. I, I
0: like, will say that just from a human standpoint, um, this case was really uh, quite outrageous. Because remember, John Edwards had this affair while his wife was dying of breast cancer. Uh, and we also know that in the case of the John Edwards mistress, she had a child um, with him. Uh, he was trying to conceal that fact. Um, and there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a quote that you found um, concerning this case uh, from Brett Kappel, who's a Washington campaign finance expert. He was talking about the John Edwards case. And he said, um, quote, it's not illegal to be a pig. Is what Edwards did slimy? Absolutely. Everyone will agree it was reprehensible, but it's not a crime. Uh, So this is a guy that actually looked at finance issues. So, yeah, he was absolutely uh, acting as a pig. Um, But again, in the end, there did not end up being any kind of uh, campaign violation. Look, I think that the calculation by Democrats here is pretty clear. They believe, and I think it's a smart move, I think it's highly unethical, I think it's wrong, but I think from their standpoint, if you're not concerned about ethics, you're not concerned about the the state of legal ethics in the United States, it makes sense. Because here's what they're basically saying. This is a strategy that's going to help Donald Trump win the primary election for the Republican Party. But it's going to hurt him in the general election. In other words, it's going to build up enthusiasm among his base, people that are maybe getting a little tired of him or maybe you're looking at, at uh, Governor DeSantis or other alternatives. It's going to bring them back in the fold for Trump out of anger. But those crucial swing voters, those 20 percent that decide every election It's not going to rally them to Trump's side. It's going to be another example to them. This is the Democratic calculation. It's going to be another example to them that Donald Trump is a moving soap opera. And this is going to be an issue you're going to have to contend with. That's, I think, the calculation they're making. And I would say, Eric, it's probably a pretty good bet. What do you
1: think? I think it's a better bet than the guy that gave John Edwards 900K to, fu- to conceal his affair. <laughs> like, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> he's, he's like, you know, it's like 2008, you know, listen, we got a first African-American right. candidate of all time. We got a chance to have a woman. You know what? I'm, my money's on the guy with the good hair. That's right. like uh, right. yeah, The trial
0: uh, lawyer, the trial yeah, yeah, lawyer. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, he's got some. Yeah, he's got some personal finance, moral problems. <laughs> but I'm going to give him a mill just to you know, look. Who hasn't fathered child out of wedlock while their wife was dying of breast cancer? It, just, it makes him relatable. Right. I can see. I can see him doing that. No, it's bad. Uh, you know the, the funny thing is, you talk about like the sort of like you fly cl- too close to the sun and the Icarus thing. I can remember in 2004 when John Edwards was the vice presidential candidate. Um, he was from North Carolina, and I was at the ACC tournament, I believe, in uh, Greensboro. And so John Edwards and I was sitting on press row. And so John Edwards came in; he had a front row seat as the vice presidential candidate, right? He's sitting right there, uh, and he's or he was maybe running for president at the time. But he had, he was fed; everybody applauded. He sits in the front row. Two, uh, eight years later, 2012, he's disgraced. He's scandalized. He just got beat you know, just beat this thing. And I saw him in line in a concession stand at the ACC tournament, getting his own chicken wings.
0: (laughs) How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Well, that's the state of America today. We have these different standards for different people. And we see how the criminal justice system is being abused to try to settle political scores, uh, Eric, you and I, we've talked about uh, political corruption uh, for a decade. We've exposed it as it relates to the Clintons, to the Bidens, to Mitch McCall and others. We have never, ever in this podcast or in the basis of our books or anything called for the actual prosecution. What we have always asked for is an investigation, a thorough investigation, so people can understand what happened because we're not lawyers. We don't know all the details. What you're seeing on the left with Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, with Alvin Bragg, this uh, prosecutor in New York, is the weaponization of the criminal justice system, where they're actually running for office and saying, we don't have all the facts, we don't have all the evidence, but we promise you, as a campaign promise, I will charge this person with a crime if you elect me.
1: Uh, By the way, Donald Trump did something similar, right? I mean, he sort of said, I'll put Hillary in jail if I get elected. And then even he sort of backed off of it. I think that's he what? did.
0: And and look, we all get, I mean, people are going to chant, lock her up, lock her up. But these are not people that are actually officers of the court. that are responsible right? <laughs> for charging <people laughs> with crimes. It's a totally different thing. It's supposed to be a dispassionate office. Uh, it's not supposed to be something that that is just, uh, you know, evening political scores. And yet that is where we are in America today. So your final thoughts um, on where we go next with this story. What is the legal peril, if any, for Donald Trump in this case or others?
1: Um, I My biggest takeaway is that like, I can't believe that a man who's got John Edwards hair and uh, a, an enviable collection of Orvis sweatshirts <laughs> continues to like just be the underpinning of every major political story in America over the last decade. The Steele dossier came about, and we now know this from the Columbia Journalism Review, the Steele dossier came about because of the Clinton campaign paranoia over the public perception of your reporting in Clinton cash. And uh, and it led to an FCC fine, which ha- exposes the hypocrisy of the charges Donald Trump is facing today. It's quite the story.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. We have a great team here, as you know, uh, and these are always team tackles. Uh, and I will say it gives us great satisfaction because... We always focus on facts and information. We really try to shy away from you know, overt opinion. On this podcast, we obviously give our opinions. But in our research, it's driven by facts. And sometimes you wonder if that gets lost in the noise. But this is, again, another example of all the sorts of things that happen behind the scenes that you're not aware of when you're so focused on the truth. So that's a testament to our team, and it's a testament to this audience. You listen to this podcast because you know— that facts and research and information matters. Uh, And in my mind, it's what should matter most. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Eric, we hope you feel better soon. Uh, We will see if he is out of quarantine uh, next Monday. If he's not quarantined for medical reasons, he might be quarantined for other reasons. (laughs) But in all seriousness, Eric, we hope you feel better. We thank you for listening. You can find articles and research about this podcast at thedrilldown.com or you can subscribe to this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located. Thank you very much.